For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? All right. Uh, So welcome for those of you who are visiting. um, This is, if you don't know, this might be confusing. I'm not the lead pastor. Normally I do that, and Rick is the lead pastor. But uh, we switched because we were out of town uh, over in, in Texas, and so... I got the short straw and said, hey, I'll do it. And somewhere in the description of my job, it says, other duties assigned. This is, this is one of those. And so, thankfully, I only get to do this like twice a year, which is great. Um, <clears throat> so, that's, come back next week, you'll hear the real guy. I'm the fill-in, sorry. Uh, but, if you don't have a Bible, and you need one, there's some in the back. There are a gift to you. Take them, do what you want with them, read them, hopefully. Uh, but they're yours. But the text is also printed in your bulletins, so you can follow along there, and it may be up on the screen. You can move past HC Kids, because we're not doing that right now. That's first service. All right, cool. Uh, so grab your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to turn over to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to pick off right where we left last week, right? So Galatians is in the New Testament. You've got Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians, okay, for those of you who are still... Learning those, and I'm still learning them, so I get it. Uh, our passage, though, today picks up exactly where we left off last week in verse 1. And so if you weren't here, or if you have forgotten, I'm just going to remind you, because verse 1 and what we're going to be doing today through 2 through 5 are intricately connected, I think is what I'm supposed to say. Yeah, so they're very connected, and it's really important to look back and see uh, what, was, what was going on last week. So Rick ended... With Paul saying this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so I want you to think about that person for a second that he's talking about in verse 1. Because as I was on the airplane and just thinking about and praying through and finishing up this sermon, that guy or girl that he's talking about in this particular thing, it's, it's, it's kind of scary, right? Because it could be that man or woman who is caught in some grievous uh, transgression. And I know none of you think it's you, right? It's got to be somebody else. That's fine. But regardless of who you think it is, Paul is starkly reminding us that someone's specific sin has come to light. And that's really scary to think of because as I was driving down these big highways in Austin, Texas, it's like getting your, your worst sin put on a billboard. For everyone to see. I don't want mine on a billboard, right? And so maybe it's that man or woman caught in another person's bed. Or some guy is on the internet trolling pornography. Her gossip has been exposed. The lie to the text man has been found out. That constant belittling and tearing down of her husband has spilled over for all to see. And so who's in danger here in verse 1? Who does Paul spend the next four verses that we're going to talk about today warning what might happen to a person in situation of discovery and restoration? The one who is found out and fallen, 
We talked about them last week. Or the one who is about to help them stand, to come alongside and lift them up. And so every verse that we're going to talk about today has this big yellow flashing light. Caution, caution, caution. Because the message of warning is directed not to the one who has fallen that we talked about last week, but to those who are called to come alongside and help them up, to stand with them. And so for those of you visiting with us today and still checking out this God thing, I, I am just ecstatic that you're here, to be honest. Because my hope for the next 35 minutes or so is that you get a front row seat into what the community of God is supposed to look like. A people set apart for relationship with Jesus and called to bear and share one another's burdens. And I know this is probably not what you think of Christians as doing, right? We have not done a very good job of this. And we could really do better. But I promise you that those of us who claim to follow Jesus and are actually following him, we really want to do this. But there is an assumption, though, that Paul makes. And the assumption is that you are a dependent follower of Jesus, that you have an intimate relationship with him because of his perfect life and because of his death on the cross for your sin and because of his resurrection. Because he, Jesus, is the one that you were made for. Okay? So that's sort of the assumption that Paul is is going into. And so for the rest of us, already in the family of God, already redeemed, already restored to God and to one another, and already forgiven by Jesus, we're about to have a unique in-house little family conversation. If I had a, a, a big sofa, I'd sit on it. We all kind of settle around and go, we're going to have some hard talk today because this is our family time. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so what we're going to talk about from two to five sets the idea of individualism on its ugly head. And it calls us to abandon our pride, and instead to embrace a real love, like a genuine love for others, because Jesus first loved us. So stand with me, if you would, in honor of God's word. Let's hear, that's our practice, if you would, so appreciate that. Let's hear what God has to say today about bearing each other's burdens, okay? This is the word of God. This is not my word. Thank the Lord. This is God's. And so it is true. It is life-giving. It's our only rule and authority in life. Okay? You ready? Here we go. Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. And not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to come today and through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak into the dark recesses of our hearts? Would you illuminate our souls with the power of your gospel? For it truly is good news. Do this so that we can all lean into the freedom that we have through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Let none of us leave here unchanged. Give me strength to speak Your words of truth today. I am weak and I'm in need of your grace and your mercy. And so I ask all these things in the great and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I don't have any fancy outline for you. Sorry. I could barely write this. So this is is what you get. But in keeping with our tradition, I do have three points. I'm not going to tell you them. That way you don't know if I actually... Stuck with them. So, But there are three. If you're following along, it's great. All right. Okay. Uh, Look down at verse 2. 
It says this, Paul says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as I was thinking through this, I'm thinking verse two is kind of hard and it's a strange verse. He just said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What? Like, I think it's particularly hard to understand at first glance because for those of you who've, who've been here the last couple of months, we've been going through the book of Galatians, freedom. And so the last part, fulfill the law of Christ, it sounds a little different than what we've been talking for the previous first five chapters and six. And so if you've been paying attention, this should seem really odd. So this should be a, a this is a shift in the book. So make a little mark and say shift because we're about to shift into a different gear. Because Paul's been saying through most of the book, hey, it's free grace. You're dead to the law. Be a slave to Christ, not to the law. And then he says here out of nowhere, fulfill the law of Christ. That was confusing. And so I think it's helpful to remember that the entire Bible tells the story of the gospel, this grand narrative from Genesis to Revelations. And so looking at just one part isn't really helpful. You can't take it out of context or view any one section in a singular way. It's holistic. And so particularly, it's vital to see that Paul is pushing us to remember what he had just written a few verses earlier in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, right? And so the original hearer of this would have heard the whole letter and that's why they would have had a more holistic approach. We've been breaking it apart. And so it's helpful to remember what he just wrote because there's a significant connection. He says this in chapter 5. Paul writes this. Serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he's basically saying this. The law of Christ is subbed up in love your neighbor It's pretty clear, like love your neighbor. This is the fulfillment of the law of Christ. And so the law of Christ referred to in verse two that we just read uh, is is connected uh, to what he wrote in chapter five. And it's this example of the kind of love that Christ has given us. Because if we claim to be followers of him, Jesus, then our lives must be marked by this kind of love towards others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us who are in our family, like we're family if we all believe and have faith in Jesus. And so you don't have to turn there now, but it's helpful to remember uh, John chapter 13 and Ephesians chapter four, there's a connection there, tells us to love others because why? Because Christ first loved us. And so Even looking back farther, if you look back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law could be boiled down to this one command, to love others. And in truth, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see the definitive embodiment of what this love should be and actually looks like. Because when you peer into his life in the Gospels, that's anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you clearly see Jesus embodying and living out this breathtaking ideal of the kind of life that we, his people, are called to live, right? And so we take on the attributes of him because we are his family. And so by putting together Galatians chapter 5, in parallel with verse 2 here in chapter 6, we see now that to serve one another in love means to carry each other's burdens. Now we've been talking about bearing Burdens, but I think it's good to define what is a burden because there's a shift later on. So that's my hook. Pay attention because there's a little shift 
later. But Paul defines a burden this way. Certainly we can see from verse 1, and this is the connection, that burden could mean, and does mean at times, a sin that someone has fallen into. But it means more than that. And this is where you've got to peel back the onion and get, get dig deeper. Paul wants us to hear that a burden is more widely defined as anything that threatens to crush the joy of our faith. A burden is anything that threatens to crush the joy of our faith. And whether that's a tragedy like sickness or cancer, or unemployment or loss of a loved one, loneliness, rejection... But it it could also include a sin, like we talked about in verse 1, that threatens to drag us into guilt and judgment. And Paul tells us that in all of these types of burdens, whether it's a sin or the weight of responsibility or a specific difficulty or horrific life chaotic problem, that in all of those, we are continually to bear these burdens in community. And this this is high and lofty. Like, for me, it's really high and lofty. And so I think it's important to kind of bring it down from the theoretical. It's great to say, yeah, we're going to bear one another's burdens. That's really cool. You know, but how do we do this? Well, we need to bring it into the practical and nitty-gritty of life. Simply put, Paul tells us, as followers of Jesus, and that is the connection, so do not ever lose sight of that, that in verse 2, we are not to let people carry their burdens alone, period. We are not to let people carry their burdens alone, period. And so there are no me and Jesus Christians. God's people are not meant to live on islands. We're meant for community. We're meant for each other. We're meant for bearing and sharing life together. And so this command to come alongside of a Christian brother or sister who is weighed down by some burden, threat, or sin... And it basically says, do something quickly to help them. Help them. They're drowning. Help them. If you saw somebody drowning, you wouldn't turn away and go, eh, I don't really feel like helping this dude. You know, he's just drowning, but I don't really care. Like, that's not what we're, that's not what we're called to be. And so there is urgency in Paul's voice here. Because he's telling us, don't stand by and watch your friend be crushed to death. By their burdens or their sins. This heavy weight that is on them. Don't let them be destroyed. Don't be like the Pharisees and scribes that Jesus talks about in Matthew 23. Where he said this. They, the Pharisees, bind heavy burdens. Hard to bear. And lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with their finger. They won't lift a finger to help. And so the point is not to increase your brother or sister's burden, but instead to make it lighter, right? And so some people are sitting here right now and they're weighed down by tremendous weight and burden. Tremendous. And they need your help. And no one is moving towards them. Just sitting by themselves under their weight and nobody's moving towards them. And so if you're wondering what to do with your life, this is it. Here's the greatest vocation that will bring you more satisfaction than being a billionaire any day of the week. And for those of you who know me, I get like mind-juked by all the dollar signs of being a billionaire. But this is better. But I want the money, but this is better, right? And so I have to speak this truth to my, to my own heart first, believe me. And it's this. Pray for and start developing now. 
Not tomorrow, not, not yesterday. Now, the extraordinary skill for detecting the burdens of others. This little burden radar. Right? And devote your daily life to making those burdens lighter, not heavier. Because by doing that, Paul says, you fulfill the law of Christ. You're actually fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, if we're honest with each other, this is a really big rub against our American rugged individualism. And so for a guy like me who loves pulling himself up by his bootstraps often, and then failing, and we'll get to that later, uh, this sort of is a rub. Like, I, I want to do it on my own, right? Because I like John Wayne, but I think he would scowl at this idea. I think Fox News would say, uh, it's your own problem. Fix it yourself through grit and self-determination. Make yourself better. MSNBC would probably say it's someone else's problem. And so the government or, or some other structure should fix it. But all of these points, John Wayne, Fox News, MSNBC, they all miss the point. They all miss the point of what Paul is trying to tell us here as the people of God. Because verse 2 clearly and unapologetically calls us to bear others' burdens because we follow Jesus who bore ours. We follow Jesus who bore ours, therefore we're able to bear others. And so the lifting of burdens off of others is this way of law fulfillment. It's a fancy language, right? It's a, but it's basically a modeling of our whole life on the example of Jesus. This is really countercultural. In fact, it's counterintuitive, right? Have you ever thought why? why? Why we don't do this? Why is it so rare to bear one another's burdens? All right, this gets us to verse 3, because this is where we see Paul's answer to why we aren't a people of burden-bearing. It's going to get a little, it's going to be fun. So here we go, verse 3. For if, this is what Paul writes here, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. You see his answer? Pride. It's pride. Pride is the one virus that causes all the moral diseases of the world. Think about it. Every sin, if you just sort of draw a little diagram and think through all these things, every sin takes root in pride. And it's been that way since Adam and Eve desired to be independent in the garden. And it's going to be that way until Jesus returns. This is the rub of our life. We are going to continually struggle with pride. Because our default, if we're honest, our default is my burdens. My burdens should be borne first. I'm something you're not. And it's a sign that our identity is firmly planted in whatever we think makes us something. You get that, right? Whatever we think makes us something, we're going to live that out. And so whether that's success, that's money, that's beauty, the way I look, the way I don't look, intelligence, right decisions. I made all the right decisions all the time. Verse 3 says, nah, not really. This is Paul's radical attack on our pride. And he knows that's our default, so that's why he's beating it up here. He's saying, hey... You are failing to fulfill the law of Christ because you, we, think we're something. But in fact, he says, you're nothing. Now, 
When you hear nothing, some of us may go, what? Listen, Jason, what are you talking about? So before you get too twitchy, he's not saying physically nothing or worthless. That's absurd. That's just stupid, right? Like, God made us, and we all image our creator, and so God delights in his creation. All of it. The earth and its inhabitants. But what Paul is saying is that we're morally nothing. Nothing. So listen, we're, we're all in the same boat. Absolutely every single one of us in this room are in the same boat. There are not levels of humanity before God. Either you're his people or you're not. You're his people or you're not. And so my older brother friend sitting here today uh, is no better than the wayward pig slop eating younger brother, right? Because if you think about it, both brothers have longed for the things of the father, but they've never really wanted relationship with the father. And so whatever side of the coin you fall on, either way, if you think about it, all you want are things from daddy, but you don't actually want relationship with daddy. And so that's why, Paul says, we have nothing to offer morally. We are all fallen people. This is what Romans talks about, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's in the same boat. Sorry. If that's offensive to you, so be it. That's what it is. We're all fallen. So deal with it. Uh, But we're fallen in our self-righteousness. And we're fallen in our acts of independence. And that's why we know, if we're honest, this is we know that our sin separates us from relationship with God and with one another. Period. And so if we're honest with ourselves, we can see the effects of our sin on how we break relationship with God, but also how our sin affects other people. We know that it alienates us, both vertically and horizontally. It alienates, and we got a lot of work to do. But we can't make our, Paul's argument is, we can't make ourselves better. That's what we all, literally sitting right here, everybody's like, well, what do I got to do just to make myself better? We can't. We cannot make ourselves better, no matter how hard we try. It's impossible. And so that's where the gospel literally rushes in, rushes in, and saves us and says, look to Christ through his perfect life, through his death on the cross for the penalty of your sin, and through his resurrection instead of the mirror. Look to Christ instead of the mirror. Because looking in the mirror for help is only going to bring death. I guarantee you, I'm I'm the chief mirror looker. I'm telling you, death. Looking to Christ, though, and resting in him alone, by faith alone, through his grace alone, will bring and give life. It really will. Okay? So that's the main thrust of this particular section. So to, to really recap real quickly, Paul tells us, take on the trouble of helping people realize their sin or burden and get it repaired. Get it repaired. In essence, to appoint each other to the great mechanic, Jesus, right? Who can restore any broken down jalopy of a person. If he can do it for me, I guarantee it he can do it for you, right? And so, this is my dream for us, honestly. Wouldn't it be great to belong to a family of believers who loved each other so much, so well, that they simply could not look the other way while a brother or sister is weighed down with a burden and is left to, or is left to harden into a habit of sin, right? Wouldn't it be great if, if we didn't let people do that? Instead, if we came alongside them and said, I'll help lift this off of you. You don't have to do it alone. 
You're not meant to be alone. I'm here to love you. Uh, Because I'd love us to be that family here at Holy Cross. If not, Paul warns us, you're not fulfilling the law of Christ. All right. The next section, this is section uh, verses 4 to 5. Check yourself. Check yourself. Because it's about to get worse. Um, It gets real, real, real and personal here. Verse verse 4 and 5, like I alluded to in the beginning, is this. Caution, caution, caution. This is a big yellow flashing sign. Caution, caution, caution. Because Paul knows that we all, every single one of us, struggle with pride. And so he writes this. Because you struggle with pride, Jason, everyone else, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. He's basically saying this. Since you all struggle with pride, make every effort to humble yourself. Humble yourself when you point out someone else's sin. Or when you move alongside them to help ease their burden, this weight that's on their shoulders. Humble, humble yourself. Now listen, at first glance you may be thinking that verse 4 and 5 are a bit confusing when you you just put it in context of what we just read in verse 2 and 3, right? It it asks this question, or I'm asking myself this question, which I'm not going to posit to you. Are we or are we not supposed to boast in ourselves? Because you just talked to me about bearing each other's burdens, and now you're saying uh, boast in yourself. So what is it? What, what does he mean here? I think this, this, is, this is what Paul's trying to tell us. In evaluating the significance of your own achievement in any part of life, do not look at the works or lack of works of others as your standard of measurement. Don't look to other people to measure yourself. Don't get all haughty and puffed up because a friend falls flat on his face. Because our pride, if we're honest, our pride loves to see people fall where we have stood. Right? It makes us feel great. But that's arrogance. That's pride. And Paul says, stop feeding your appetite for pride by comparing yourselves with those who sin in big ways. You are not better than the drug dealer on the corner. You are not better than the racist guy with a rebel flag in the back of his truck. You are not better than the unwed mother who just got pregnant again for the fifth time. You are not better than the poor family on the corner using food stamps to get by. You are not better than the slumlord who uses his power over others to extort money. You are not better than the college guy or girl who sleeps around and is drunk six out of seven days a week. And you're not worse either. See the two sides of the coin? You're neither better nor worse than any of those people I just told you about. Because measuring your own moral accolades, my own rightness and goodness, before, by those of others, is wrong. I mean, I don't know, I mean, even clearer than that. It's wrong to do that. And so, it's a sin. Stop, please. You're harming other people. You're harming yourself because you're denying relationship. But Scripture right here says, instead, measure them or test them. He's saying test them, as Paul says, by the law of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself. That whatever there is in you to boast about will not be measured by your standards or the standards of others, inferiority or or superiority, 
but instead on what Christ has done for you. And so you may still be asking, can we boast of anything in ourselves? Yes, but here's the glorious catch. A few verses from now, and we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. A few verses from now, Paul writes in chapter 6, verse 14 this. And this directly connects to verse 4. Far be it from me to boast. Same word as in verse 4. He's talking about it in, in, in verse 14. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in Romans 15, in Christ Jesus, I have a reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What Christ has accomplished is the main point of that. And so the cross of Christ, the cross of Jesus, His Spirit that He gives us that lives within us right now, whether we believe it or not, if you're a follower and a believer of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is within you. And so He The third person of the Trinity lives right now and directs and empowers you. And so by having that in us already because of our relationship with Jesus, it vaporizes all of our pride and and boasting on ourselves. This relationship reorients our hearts. We still cry for independence. We still want to go the old way. But he's saying you don't have to be that guy anymore. It reorients our hearts to boast on his grace. And it transforms this boasting that we we are going to boast either one of two ways. We're going to boast in ourselves or we're going to boast on Jesus. And so this this relationship reorients it. And it's really a joyful shout out to God for his mercy to us and to others. All right? Look down at verse 5. We'll be wrapping up here in a minute. This is a really weird verse. When I read this, it literally took me like two days. I'm like, Rick, what is this about? I don't have a clue. I'm reading all these things, trying to figure it out, praying. This is a really funky verse. It just kind of tacked on at the end, but it, but it really connects. And so verse 5 says this. For each will have to bear his own load. Like, Man, what are you talking about? We just talked about all this other stuff. And now you're saying, I got to carry my load. And you just told me to like pick up people's burdens and come alongside them. And now I'm supposed to carry a load. You're crazy, Paul. Like, what's going on here? Uh, But I think it's important to connect verse 5. Remember we talked about in the beginning, holistically, connecting uh, that to the rest of the passage that we just talked about. And so he disarms this seeming contradiction. Uh, Because you've got to understand that verse 5 is not a contradiction verse 2, which we talked about bear each other's burdens. And verse 5, he says, for each will have to bear his own load. Paul's trying to tell us this. This is the connection. It's seemingly hard, but here we go. Try, don't try, do not try to lighten your own load by comparing yourself with your brother or your sister. Because it's going to lead to two things. It's going to lead to pride. I'm better. Or it's going to lead to despair. I suck. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm bad. Despair, right? And so we all know, sorry, we all know that we lose this comparison game uh, Every time. I've played it a bunch and I, I have never won. I always lose. And we're going to lose two ways, right? You're going to lose through pride or you're going to lose through disappointment. You're going to be disappointed. I'm not, I'm not as good as Joe Blow. And or you're going to lose on pride and I'm better than this dude. And so Paul writes verse 5. Why? 
Because one day he knows, this is the connection to the grand narrative of Scripture. One day he knows that we're all going to stand before our king. That we're all going to give an account for our lives and how we live. And so before you freak out, you have to understand the word choice here. Because loads are different than burdens. They are different than burdens. So verse 5 and verse 2 have different actual Greek words. Our load is our responsibilities before God. But the Greek word translated burdens in verse 2 means this heavy weight. This heavy weight that we've been talking about. And so like we spoke about earlier, burdens are used in other sections of the Bible that kind of, kind of give you a better understanding of burdens uh, to describe our sin and describe our life circumstances as a weight of separation from God and from each other. And so that's why Jesus can tell us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. But the different word for load that's used here in verse 5 is God's version of a kind of loaded backpack. Trink. I got my backpack. Oh boy, okay. Why did you give me this backpack to carry? I thought I was just supposed to like help people with their burdens and these heavy weights. And now, in addition to helping them with their burdens and heavy weights, i got to carry this satchel on my back. And you're like, why? He gives us these things that only we can carry. And so your load is your workplace. It's your neighborhood. It's your mom and dad. It's your family, right? It's those hobbies and those friends that God has put around you. It's, it's that sphere of influence that God has placed you in. That is your load to carry. I can't carry yours. And you can't carry mine. Thank goodness, right? Because we all have our own. You, I'm sorry, you just can't carry mine and I can't carry yours. Because God gives each of us individual loads. It's different than the burden, so don't get confused. But individual loads that are different and unique. And he gives us these individual sets of difficulties and opportunities, individual sets of gifts, and individual sets of weaknesses, and they're by God's glorious and perfect design. We shouldn't be angry about them. He intends them to shape us more into his image. He's given it to us individually, and they're ours to carry. And he's calling us to carry them in a way that pleases him, not others, not even pleasing to myself, him, so that we will be shaped more into his image. And to make his name more famous wherever he's placed us. And for us, that's here the city of Stanton. We want God's name to be more famous in this city through your lives. And how you go out and impact other people. As you share life with them. And share relationships. And are honest about where you're at. Okay? Because we're all measured by this law of Christ that we talked about. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so no one can make our load any lighter by being worse or better than we are. I can't say, but I was as good as Jeremy. I wasn't any worse than Rick. We all fall on deaf ears. On the, that all will fall on deaf ears on the day of judgment. Because when I stand in front of God to give an account for my life, I'm going to give an account for my load alone. I will not give an account for yours. Sorry. Now, there is an asterisk. For those of us who are elders, like we do kind of give an account, so that's a whole side thing. But just for argument's sake, I can't give an account for yours. You can't give an account for mine. All right? And that's why I think Paul is doing this flashing caution light here. Caution, caution, caution. He, we cannot bolster our pride by comparing ourselves with others. I'm the best of the best. Or you cannot uh, do your pride thing through despair because we think they're the worst of the worst. 
We all, every single one of us, bear our own loads, okay? Sort of beat that drum enough. Just wanted you to know. Loads, different than burdens. Got to carry them. Come alongside. Moving into the last leg, and then we're done here. Third point. See, if you've been following along, this is the third point. Uh, So this is where we get some takeaway. Great question that I'm about to ask you. How and what are we, as the family of God, to do with all this? You like machine gunned me here, Jason. You've been talking a mile a minute. I talk fast anyway, so that's, you know, it's just a lot going on there. And you're, and you're like, what, what, do, what do I do? Clearly, Paul calls us and wants us to be a community of bearing and sharing. But if you're anything like me, you're asking, how do I do this? I think it's simple. I like simple things, so I just made it simple. But it's also the scariest thing ever. This is it. We have to be willing to risk knowing and being known by others. We have to risk knowing and being known by others. I know what you're thinking. That sounds great, Jason. You get paid to do that. Like, that's cool for you, but uh, I don't know if I can do that. How does the gospel free you and me to know others and to be known. I mean free. It really does. But how can we live into that freedom? Here's how. When Jesus enters our life, he, not us, he is the one who enables us to love. Simple, right? He enables us to love others. And so we can live into this great freedom we have because we're his family. These are things that he values. Therefore, as his children, we are called to value them. You know what it's like in your own family. Your dad told you, like, this is a value. Your mom is like, follow this because I think this is important. And you may have thought it was the stupidest thing ever, but you just kind of did it because that's what mom and dad thought were important. It's the same thing as God's family. God's children says, love others because I loved you. It's a value. Like, do it. I've made you for it. You can do this. And he does it because, and this is the beautiful part of it. This this takes the whole, like, i got to work harder. No. He said, God knows you fully, and he loves you completely. He knows you fully, and he loves you completely. And so that's why we can flourish as his children. Because we're fully known. Fully known by Jesus. Marinate in that over the couple months. Because once that's like digging deeper, you're freed. Now, it's still going to be hard to live and walk it out. But man, is there great freedom in that. Fully known by Jesus. And you are no longer bound to fear. You're no longer bound to resentment. And you're no longer bound to shame. You do not have to fear rejection from other people, him, or yourself. Because your identity is in him, Jesus. It's not in you. That's, God, that's freeing for a guy who, you know, just doesn't know what to do half the time and then struggling, always trying to figure it out on my own. This is, this is life shattering. It's like, whoa, I, this is a whole different way to live. And so I challenge you really to write down uh, for, for you note takers, not now, but like over the week. And as you're talking, I'm a verbal processor, so I would never write it down. I would just diarrhea of words on my friends and then we would work it out. But write down and think through this. Uh, challenge you to really think about what keeps you, I'm serious about this, think about this, what keeps you from being known and from knowing others? 
challenge you to really think about what keeps you from being known and from knowing others. And then live, once you're working through that, then live into the freedom of what Christ says about you. I know it's hard. Our culture doesn't help us at all, right? Uh, because if you think about it, how many self-help, self-esteem books are out there? There's tons. I mean, just go to Amazon. You'll check them out. Everybody's talking about believe in yourself. Fix yourself first. Love yourself. Love yourself. Self, self, self. It just doesn't work, does it? I mean, if we're honest, it just doesn't work. I know. I'm telling you up front now. I know I've tried. It's failed me every time. And for those of you who know me, like, some of my things fail really big. And, um, and it's, I've always consistently failed when I, when, I, when I just try to do it on my own. And that's why we need to push against the culture on this and our own heart's desire for independence because that's a strong one, right? And stop talking about our self-esteem and self-help and instead live into the identity of being called sons and daughters of our heavenly father through relationship with his son. One of the most beautiful passages that I love in all of the Bible is Galatians 2.20. I I, I could swing out into eternity on this. I just love this because it says this. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so that's why we need to break free of our handcuffs of assertive pride and our timid pride. By not bolstering our self-esteem and desire for independence anymore. But instead... To live into the radical confidence in the unrivaled Christ who came into the world to save utterly unworthy sinners like you and me. Because when we look to Christ for our forgiveness, when we look to Christ for our guidance, when we look to him for our love, when we look to him for our joy, we're wholly freed to risk being known and we're freed to know others. We don't have to pretend anymore. Because our identity is in Christ and it set us free to actually notice others, to raise our head from our navels. Stop navel gazing and look around so that we are free to have a genuine concern for others, a genuine care for others, a default that seeks to encourage others, seeks to edify and push forward into other people's lives. Do you really believe this? I know it's hard. And that's why you need to retell the beauty and the story of the gospel every day to your hearts. Because we we will forget this two seconds when we walk out this door. But it's life-changing. And if you want life-changing, latch on to this. Because your identity is solid and sound in Christ alone. And that's where your freedom, my freedom, is found. And by living into that freedom through the power of his Holy Spirit, who lives within us, we can bear our friends' burdens well. Okay, now listen up, because here's where the rubber meets the road. I've been talking in these grand, grandest things. You cannot help. You cannot help with a burden unless you come close to the burdened person. It's nice in theory to step back and go, I like to help people's burdens. But I'm not really interested in actually going to the burdened person. So you cannot help with a burden unless you come close to this burdened person, right? And so I'm asking you today, are you willing to do that? Has faith, working through the love of Christ, enabled you to do what Paul has been telling us to do? To serve one another, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to bear 
your brothers and sisters' burdens. To actually bear and come alongside and say, I'm going to make this lighter for you. You can't do it. You cannot do it if you don't have relationship with your brothers and sisters here today. You cannot do it if you isolate yourself out of pride or if you isolate yourself out of despair or if you isolate yourself out of fear. You can't do it if you say, I got this. I don't need anybody's help. You cannot do it if you say, they should help themselves. They've made bad choices. Let them sit in it. It's their fault. You cannot do it if you say, my burden is so bad, no one will want to help me. I'm terrible. Nobody's going to care about me. And you go into your cave, and you sit in your dark cave. All of those ways are rubbish. It's crazy talk. Because we have to be a community of bearing burdens together. Not isolated by ourselves, together. And that's why here at Holy Cross, small groups are so important. It's where we, as the family of God, as friends, get the opportunity to walk life together. To share life together. To live and bear our burdens together. And so for those of you not in a small group, I I don't blame you for feeling on the outs. I don't blame you that you feel marginalized and burdened by the chaos of life because it's chaotic. Has anybody, you know, gut checked lately and just turned on the news? It's chaotic. But I don't even need to look in the news. I can look in the mirror and know it's chaotic. And so if you're feeling marginalized and burdened and you're not in a group, I understand. Of course you're going to be weighed down and burdened. Because you are not meant to try to walk this Christian life alone. You need others. And so I'm asking you today, will you take the risk and let others into your lives by joining a small group? Because I promise you, if once you do, and this takes time, but once you do, you're, you're never, honestly, you're never going to regret it. It's a grace like no other to be known and to know others in the context of God's family. Now, for those of you already in a small group, Some of you need to repent today. You need to turn back to the Lord. Because you've been sitting in the same room with people for months and even years. And you've never noticed your brother or sister who is drowning. You've been blind to it. You've been blind because of pride or you've been blind because of fear. And you've been sitting right with them and they've been drowning. You would never, if you saw a drowning person in the ocean, you wouldn't go, man, I should really help them. But I'm just not going to do that. They're drowning. They're going to die if you don't jump in the water and help them. This is the same urgency here. If you do not jump in to the people that are in your small group that you've been sitting next to for months and years and, and do not help them, they will die. And so we've been cowardly. Some of us have been too prideful to engage them in love. And so I'm asking you to repent today. Ask for forgiveness and then let the gospel do what it does. It sets you free. To take yourself way less seriously. Listen, if we're honest, some of us in this room need to take ourselves way less seriously. Life is not always... Right? But instead, get into the muck and mire. The busyness. The hardness. The chaos of other people's lives. And then let them into yours. It's freeing. It's what you were made for. And if you think about it, if you're honest, in those dark nights, right when you're about to fall asleep, you know... That you need it. And so the good news, the gospel, is that we can all be reconciled to God in Christ. And therefore, 
reconciled to ourselves and then reconciled to others. And so I'm asking, let's be that community. Let's be that community that's marked by bearing each other's burdens well. A church whose hate of sin, but yet love for sinners, creates this countercultural movement, this countercultural community of purity and peace and joy here in the city of Stanton. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for these men and women here today. Thank you for the opportunity to just let the word of God do what it does, change people. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you might stir up in our hearts now what needs to be stirred up. Because there has been much said in multiple different directions. And I pray more and more and more that here at Holy Cross, that you would create this type of environment. A place where people will bear with one another burdens well. That we engage one another when we see entanglements and those who've fallen into transgressions, those who are drowning, that we would gently engage, love, rescue, and restore by your grace and power. That we would gladly look inside ourselves to see if we're walking in obedience to the opportunities that you, Jesus, have given us, rather than look outside of ourselves at the opportunities that others are walking in and taking advantage of. And so I ask that you would make us, by your grace alone, motivated by your love alone, more obedient to all that you've commanded us in Christ. And so it's in his beautiful and holy name we pray. Amen.